evening. I know Mike kind of mentioned this this morning, but I hope you never lose sight of all the truth we preach before anyone ever gets in this pulpit. Those are some beautiful words uh, in those songs we sing, and in Christ alone is 100% where we stand. Uh, so I have the honor of not only preaching the first Sunday night sermon of 2024, but also the last sermon of Leviticus. We have made it to Leviticus chapter 27. I thank God for every message that he's laid on the elders' hearts, as well as every ears and hearts that were hopefully touched by it. Uh, next week, Pastor will be introducing the book of Numbers, so looking forward to that, getting started, but certainly don't want to downplay uh, what God has for us in store as we finish here. Um, problem is, my opening monologue makes no sense until you know what the chapter says. So we're going to read the chapter first, and then we'll uh, jump right in. So if we all could stand in honor of reading God's word, I will read the whole thing. And yes, it is 34 uh, verses long. All I ask is try to get a common theme from it. See if you can at least get the general idea of why God decided to have this chapter in his holy word. Okay, so. Leviticus 27, starting in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from 5 years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. If the person is from a month old up to five years old, the valuation for a male shall be five shekels of silver, and for a female, the valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if the person is 60 years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest, and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. If the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make any substitute for it, good or bad, or bad for good. And if he does in fact substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is an unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand, but if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee. Any deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. But if he does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold a field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. But the field, when it is released in Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession, then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of Jubilee, 
and the man shall be and the man shall be given sorry and the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall make a shekel. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate. Whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. For if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed or of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. You may be seated. All right, so I don't think there's anybody here who's here for the first sermon, first time here in Leviticus. Um, that is textbook Leviticus right there. What in the world is going on? I don't understand this stuff. Can we please just go back to the book of James? I get it. But that's why we study it. We study it because it's not as... There's a lot in here. It's just kind of... I don't want to say hidden, but because society's changed so much, it's so easy to just say, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm supposed to get something out of this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed even off the, just, just the general tone, but this chapter is pretty much talking about vows. Okay? The word vow appears four times. The word dedicate appears, I believe, seven times. Okay? It's about making vows, which is why I thought it was so cool that originally I was going to preach this on New Year's Eve. Pastor ended up doing a special New Year's Eve service. But I'm like, how appropriate would that be that on New Year's Eve, when people love to make resolutions, we'd be talking about making vows to God? It seemed to line up well. God said, no, no, I'm going to have you preach that two weeks later, which, believe it or not, is even more appropriate than anyone catch on why. I don't blame you. I've been reading this for months. This chapter wasn't about making vows as much as it was about breaking them. The Bible doesn't call breaking it, it calls redeeming them. The word redeem popped up nine times. Nine times. If a person makes a vow but then wants to redeem it. If a person makes a vow but then wants it back. Let's be honest, we make a resolution on December 31st. What's happening by January 14th? We're breaking it. We want to take it back. We want to say, well, what I meant was I would do that on every third Thursday, right? We're always looking for ways out. So it just seems so perfect that this sermon would line up with where we are, and yet it's not perfect at all, at least to my understanding, because why in the world would God be giving ways to get out of vows? Like, we know that's not what God says. We have multiple places in the Bible that talk about how important vows are to God. Deuteronomy 23, 21, I, I'm pretty sure this was quoted not that long ago in someone's sermon. I'm sorry, I can't remember whose. I think it was pastor. But if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. 
and you will be guilty of sin. And then Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. This seems to be so opposite of what Leviticus 27 is saying when it's saying, oh, you want to vow that? Oh, you want out? All right, give me some money. You want out of that? All right, throw a fifth on. God seems to be having like loopholes left and right and I don't know, that didn't sit well with me, not that I'm telling God what to do. Amen that he's so patient with us. Uh, most of the commentaries I read had this under the title of the importance of keeping your vows, which, to God, which I agree, but then they'd go on to try to rationalize why God was giving them outs. I'm not telling you that I have this all down, I'm going to share what's on my heart, but the first thing that a lot of the commentaries said was because of all the laws that God had placed up until this point, that the people were scared stiff. That the people did not want to do anything that would upset God. They're like, listen, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I vow this, I vow this. And, and God knew that they were doing that in their human frailty and in their... So he said, listen, if you end up making a vow you want out, at least do this. That's what some commentaries said. Some took the other side and said that they were just on such a spiritual high, which I think we all can relate to. You just have that moment where you feel like you're so close to God, you're so broken of your sin, you're so, and you make a vow to God that you're never going to this again, or I'm always going to, and then a random Tuesday comes along where you're just not feeling it anymore, and next thing you know, I don't know, Listen, maybe that's what God's doing. Amen that he is patient and long-suffering with us. If Leviticus 27 is all about making a vow and then God letting you break it, I'm not going to argue. Please let this passage speak to you as the Spirit says. I promise we're going to break down the passage before I get into what it's saying to me. But I at least need to tell you the interpretation that I like the best. Okay, The one that's sitting best with me, even though I'm admitting it's not necessarily the one that would seem to line up the best with the words on the page, is in a lot of these instances, the vow that's being referenced actually couldn't be made. I'll explain why in a second, but if I can use a modern-day example, let's say there's a woman who just loves God's Word so much, loves studying it, loves teaching it, would love to get up and preach it in front of a church, would love to be a, a pastor. But because they understand in God's economy, not that she couldn't do it, but that, that just isn't God's role for the woman, she would love to vow that to God, but she can't, so she's the best Sunday school teacher she can be. She's the best. She doesn't just say, oh, well, I wanted to serve God, but I can't do what I wanted to do, so oh, well. That, that, that kind of sat a little better with me, that it wasn't if you make the vow and then want to break it as much as if you'd like to make this vow, but for whatever reason you can't make it, here's something you can still do. And, and that just sat with me because sometimes it's, Lord, I would love to do this. I'd love to go on the mission field. Oh, but I have a family and a job and a this and a this. We could say, go anyway. God's laying out on your heart. Just, just go, step out in faith. But I think God's kind of saying, listen, you don't have a piece about that or that's not something you can do right now. It's not an all or nothing. You know what I mean? I, still show me your desire to honor me. So title of the sermon is I Surrender All. It fits both ways. Okay, it's a famous hymn that we will be singing at the end, and the reason it spoke to my heart is because I've shared before that sometimes I struggle singing that song. Because as I'm singing, I'm asking myself, do I? Do I surrender all? I do in those moments when I feel so close to him, and I make a promise, and I make a vow, and next thing you know, in my human frailty, I'm breaking it. 
and I never should have made it in the first place, which is true, right? I mean, the Bible ultimately says it's better to just not even make the vow. Just do what you're going to do. But from a positive perspective, I surrender all really could be, Lord, I'm not promising anything to you. I'm not vowing anything to you because I'm not exactly sure what it is you want from me. So I'm not going to react in emotion. I'm not going to react in the moment. I'm going to wait and see what you show me. And whatever you show me, that is what um, I'm going to do in faith. So to be honest, I don't think I'm making any sense. But you have to let me get through the sermon. That's all I can do. I can repeat to you what everyone else <laughs> I read. Or I can tell you how God's speaking to my heart. So we're going to pray. We're going to break down the passage. If you believe that this is all about breaking vows and being able to get out of them, I, I'm actually okay with that. It, it, that's what the page looks like. But I will give you some of the examples I read of where it looked like that third option would fit, and then we'll see how the Spirit talks to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the honor of being up here. It's certainly not that I don't want to do it. I, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy you speaking to my heart, and I will gladly be a vessel that you use to speak to others. Lord, but in the end, I have got to say how you speak to me. Um, and as much as I thank you that you forgive me if I make a vow and not keep it, I'd rather not go down that road. Lord, I'd rather just honor you in whatever way you see fit. And I pray that's everyone's heart's desire here. And Lord, of course I pray that, that my words make sense, but in the end, your spirit is going to interpret what needs to be interpreted. And if people in here struggle with making vows and not keeping them, then Lord, you, you tell them what they need to hear. But I'm definitely going to share what you laid on my heart, and I thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. All right, we'll look at the first two verses. It says, oops, I put it down here. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons. Okay? So that's the first thing we need to look at. There are four different valuations that are going to go on in this chapter. We're going to look at all of them before I really input any of my, how it spoke to my heart. But the first is evaluation of persons. Um, I, I debated whether I should read it all again. I think I'm going to skip over that one. Whoever's back there, we'll just jump down to the breakdown. Okay, I made a breakdown for you. We read it all before. It says that if you were going, if you vow a male between 20 and 59, he'd be worth 50 shekels of silver, whereas a female of the same age would be worth 30. A male child, which is really 5 to 19, 20 versus female 10. A male infant, which is really 0 to 4, 5 to 3. Male elder. You can read it all. If you get something out of that, then God bless you. The common theme I get from that is you can pretty much easily see that the male was always valued higher than the female, not for sexist reasons, but because if you were going to vow this person to the sanctuary and then take that person back from the sanctuary, you should at least give the equivalent of how that person would have served at the sanctuary. That person would have filled a certain role. Male, adult males obviously could have the greatest impact on what was getting done in the sanctuary, so they would, quote-unquote, cost the most to be able to buy them back. That makes sense to me. I mean, I can't relate to, Lord, you know, I'm giving you my son. Lord, I want my son back. And God's saying, okay, then give me some money. But, but that's technically what it's saying. The equivalent of how that person could have served at the sanctuary, if you want that person back, then at least give that much money so that the sanctuary is still benefiting. Does that make a little bit of sense? Okay. But what I liked is a couple good points that I read. First of all, you couldn't work at the sanctuary if you weren't a Levite. 
So there were a lot of people who maybe wanted to dedicate someone to the Lord, wanted to show God how much they loved him and how much they wanted to serve him, but, but they couldn't dedicate the child. So instead of that, they could give the money. There was some, God didn't want them walking away saying, I know your heart is to serve me, but since you can't serve me in this specific way, don't do anything. That, that sits with me a lot better. Also, the idea that if all of Israel was dedicating their children, I mean, there's only so much help the sanctuary can get. Agreed? Have you ever moved and asked for help and 30 people show up? It's like, you know, you feel loved, but oh my goodness, you're kind of wishing 28 of them would go home. Right? At some point, enough is enough, and it's actually better for the sanctuary to receive the money. I think we can understand that. So you take it whichever way you want. No, John, it says that you're vowing a person and then buying them back. I'm not arguing. I guess I would just ask, then why does God make vows? So, like, like Hannah. Hannah vowed her child, yes? Well, maybe we didn't know that Elkanah was a Levite. He was. So it kind of makes sense that when Hannah um, dedicated Samuel to the Lord, he actually went to the sanctuary. I don't know. I guess maybe someone else can help me understand better why there seems to be a double standard here. But with God, there is no double standards. There's just misunderstandings. I, I'm, I'm, I'll easily admit that. But my point is, the first thing that God valued was a person. If that person could serve at the church, whether you wanted them back or you never actually vowed them, just your desire, if you could have, Lord, I'd love to, it's just I can't, well then, you give the money. You give something. I hope I'm at least getting that across. God didn't want any good intentions that ended up with absolutely no, no results. Okay, we see the same thing uh, when it comes to the next section, which was animals. That was verses 9 to 13. If the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good or bad or bad for good. And if he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. So I'm going to stop there for a second. That's fine. Leave that verse up there. In other words, if you dedicated something to the church that was a sacrifice, now all of a sudden you can't take it back. So there's no way that this chapter is strictly, oh, you changed your mind, it's okay. No, no, there's multiple times in this where we see it's not okay. Which I guess made me wonder, so Lord, why is it okay? I don't know. You can come to terms with why someone, but I know that when God says something's his, something's his. But as we keep reading, if it's an unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest. The priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to his valuation. I have no, you're right. Based on the words that are there, it sounds like, Lord, I want to give you this cow. Uh-oh, I need this cow back. Okay, really, okay. But I could see a scenario where you would like to give God the cow, <laughs> And you just, you don't see how you can, but you want to give God something. I don't think that that's a penalty, a fifth more. I don't think, because we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you never had to offer in the first place. This wasn't a requirement. So I don't like to look at it as a penalty that you had to pay more, as much as a self-assessment. I feel led to give this to God, but I can't. Well, then are you willing to give this? Oh, no, no, I didn't know I had to. Well, now you start where you're really wanting to give it in the first place. He's not going to ask someone who doesn't have a cow to give a cow. Do you understand that? He's not going to ask someone who doesn't have a house to give a house. So the implication here is you have it. 
You feel led, maybe you actually do it, and then for some reason want it back. I don't understand this society. I don't know all the various ways that it might be. No, Lord, I did. All I know is God is providing a, an economy, a system, that says, okay, you want to give this to me, but you're either taking it back or, or not officially giving it because for whatever reason, add a fifth to it. That's how I know that you really feel that you, you need this for now, but that you want to give to me. We're going through this quickly because we... We actually haven't gotten to where I want to get. Um, verse 16, same idea with the land. Oh, sorry. Verse 14, same idea with the houses. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. I'm not going to keep explaining myself. I'm going to hope you understand. But no matter what the initial act is, God says, give me a fifth more than it's worth, and he will be pleased, which is really all it's about in the first place. Land is a little bit longer um, passage. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the animal that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. But if he does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore." But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it if he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession. Then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of Jubilee, and the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him for whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession." Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall make a shekel. I'll be honest, I do that, I don't want to say on purpose. I could have just summarized that for you. But then you'd be getting my summary. Like, I don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to speak to your heart. There might have been something in there that jumped out at you that I didn't notice in the last two months. Do you understand? So as much as you might feel like, John, what in the world is going on here? Explain everything. No. I'll explain what I can, but I just don't like, I don't like skimming over passages because I believe, if we're all believers, we all have the Holy Spirit. And I look forward to somebody coming up to me later and saying, did you notice in verse 23? And then I feel like an idiot that I never noticed in verse 23. But that's how God works. God doesn't just give one person one message. We are a body here, and I would love to hear from you. But what's really going on here, at least in general, if you wanted to donate land, it breaks it up into, was it land that you, uh, part of your inheritance, part of your family's land, or that you purchased it? And either way, it was tied in with the year of Jubilee, which I hope we remember. Every seventh year, right, everything would reset. So if it was yours, you get it back. If it was someone else, they would get it back. If nobody redeemed it, it would go to the, to the church, uh, to the sanctuary. Just please, I'm trying to help you see the theme here. We read the whole chapter in the beginning. I highly doubt any of you sat down saying, wow, pretty awesome chapter. 
That was, that was rough reading. But you at least see the theme that's going through it. If you'd like to give me this and you want to redeem it, here's what you can give me. Persons, animals, houses, land. That, that's pretty much the theme of Leviticus 27. However you interpret it, that's, I, in this case, I feel comfortable saying that's between you and the Spirit. There probably were many times that people wanted their, Lord, I know I gave this to you, but I just don't want to limit it to that. I want to believe that there were times that somebody wanted to give a house. They just, they knew they couldn't. They knew they weren't in the, but Lord, I still want to do something. And he said, you know something? Here's what you can do. It's how it speaks to my heart. Um, but as we finish the passage, uh, the rest of it talks about restrictions. Okay, restrictions. Verse 26, but a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate. Whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of the herd and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad. Neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Again, if that was too much to take in at once, God ends the chapter, ends the book with, and no funny business. That's how I read that. And no funny business. Because he spent the whole time saying, you don't want... You, you want to give this to me, but now you're the second thing, then you could do this. He gives three instances at the end here. He's like, no, no, you can't. Okay, and they should just pop up on the screen. If it is a firstborn clean animal, that was already God's. You don't get to play games with that. Lord, I know you want this, but didn't you say I could give you like 50 shekels for this? No, that, that's his. And I think that's something we all can learn from. Right, Lord, I know you say this, but I can't be the only person that gets in trouble thinking that way. And God says, no, if it is a firstborn animal, that is mine. In fact, it says it here as well as before. I, I think I forgot to mention it. It actually says if you try to substitute, it says I don't want you to substitute good for bad or bad for good. You give me something, it's mine. And if you try to substitute it, they're both mine. God's not playing games. When he says something's his, something's his. And when it comes to the firstborn clean animal, that's already his. Back from Exodus, when the firstborn uh, were killed, he said, but I will redeem the firstborn to me, firstborn animal, firstborn human, which were redeemed when, when, when the children were born. Those are mine. I put devoted in quotes because apparently that word devoted can also be interpreted as accursed items. It's uh, the problem that they did in AI with Achan when certain things were supposed to be given up, or Saul, when he was supposed to kill everyone and held on to some, there were always these moments where they were saying, well, yeah, I'll give this, but... And Leviticus makes it clear, no, 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 no. 
If that thing was, they use a different word here. They use the word devoted, accursed, as opposed to dedicated or vowed. Um, I'll be honest. It, I don't know anybody who's, you know, accursed to God that I'm trying to buy back. To try to make this specific to me, I'm, I'm more trying to take the general theme from it that I don't get to play with the rules. I don't get to cut corners and stuff. God went out of his way. Tithes, he said, that is mine. There were certain ones where he said you can redeem and add a fifth, but then others where he definitely says um, you shall not, again, verse 33, you shall not dedicate, differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So, that's Leviticus 27. At a minimum, you now know what Leviticus 27 says. It says, if you make a vow of people, of animals, of houses, of land, and then you want to redeem that vow, whether it's literal or whether it's symbolic, here's what you can do to still be in my will, to still make me happy, to still be in fellowship with me. Just don't do this, this, or this. And again, that last verse, these are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel, the commandments. So Joe, I'm going to throw you under the bus, sir. Probably not. What's the title of my sermon? Oh, good. What are my sermon points? I haven't said them yet. I know you probably think I have. There's a valuation of persons that, no, that, that was for you. That was to let you know what it says. Guess how many sermon points I have? Three. Three. Guess what they are? Um, Ask Joey. He knows. No, it's I surrender all. We're going to break that down. We're going to make sure we know what that really means because I didn't do this on purpose. I never do it on purpose. I know you guys think I stay up till 2 in the morning thinking of weird sermon titles. I don't. But this is how God speaks to my heart. I'm sorry, he just didn't speak to me here. And so, John, listen, remember all those vows you made? Yeah, you should have kept them, but that's all right. Put a little more money in the offering plate. I know I'm sounding sarcastic, and I'm sorry, but that's not how it spoke to me. So maybe you can tell me how it speaks to you. How it spoke to me is, John, I know you mean well. I know you want to honor me. I know you want to do things. But don't jump the gun in the moment and be, you know, promise me things that I never asked for or things that you know you're not going to keep. When you say, I surrender all, just think about the three words you just said. Okay, so obviously the first word is I. So my first, for those of you who use Roman numerals, you're in trouble because Roman numeral I is I. All right? I surrender all. I. I purposely did not say this before, but these are special vows, it said in verse 2. If anyone makes a special vow, it's one of those over and above vows that you were never, God never asked you to do it. Okay? You understand? Didn't have to do it in the first place. Do you know where else we heard about voluntary offerings? Very good, sir. I meant in Leviticus, but very good. I do have a question about Jephthah. Why, why did he feel he had to sacrifice his daughter if he could have just paid for her? I don't know. I could have come up with an answer for that. The first three offerings, which I had the honor of doing, I had the honor of opening Leviticus and ending Leviticus. And the first three offerings, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering, were all voluntary offerings. Not sin and guilt. Those you were expected to... Voluntary. And how beautiful is that? That in a book of Leviticus, if I had asked, maybe even if I asked you today, but if I had asked you a year ago, what's a book of Leviticus? Oh, it's a bunch of laws that the Jews had to follow. Yeah, you're right. Bunch of laws. 
But how beautiful is it that all of those laws are sandwiched between a beginning that says, but if you want to honor me this way, here's how you do it right. And ends with, and if you feel led to vow to me, here's how you do it right. I just think that's a beautiful symbol of God's heart for us. Yes, there are certain things that all of us have to follow. There are certain expectations that all of us as a body of Christ are expected to do. Read the Bible, pray, edify one another, wear the armor from this morning, a lot. But oh my goodness, there's a lot of things that God can just lay on your heart. You're not expected to live according to my standard. Do you understand? And I'm not expected to live by yours. We're all expected to, to, to try to be like Christ, but that takes on different I hope we all agree. You need God to lay on your heart. What is it that he wants you to do? I can say in 2024, I can make it a, you know, a New Year's sermon, but really, any day of your life, if you're going to say, I surrender all, then you need to realize that what you're saying is, Lord, here's something that I believe you're speaking to my heart. Here is an offering I believe you're asking me to make. Here is a sacrifice I believe. Here is a ministry I believe you're asking me to serve in. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Don't, well, this person's doing this, so I guess I got to do this. Or, well, this person's only doing this, and I'm doing... No. Always, always be open to, Lord, what are you trying to speak to my heart? And as much as I'd love to say that's a beautiful thing, it's not always an easy thing. You ever heard of a man named Jonah? <laughs> all right, Jonah would have benefited from I surrender all. But all Jonah could think is, yeah, but what about this? And this isn't fair, and this isn't fair. Um, Peter, right? This will pop up on the screen. John 21, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and it said, Lord, who is that that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? For those of you who know the passage, Peter had already been told that he was going to die for Christ's sake, for Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Just such a beautiful reminder to me that why are we even on this earth? I say it a lot, but it's not to pay bills. It's not to raise families. Like Those are all ways that we can honor God with our time here. But he created us for his glory. He created us for good works. And as we're talking about in Sunday school, he created us as different parts of the body. Different parts of the body have different functions in the body. Like We understood that in science class. Why don't we understand that in, the Bible, in, in church? I surrender all. I can't tell Sean what he has to surrender to God. I can't tell Camille what. Let the Spirit speak to your heart, but can we at least acknowledge that we're not here to spin our wheels? Um, I think Mike just said it this morning. Yeah, none of us can say we don't have any spiritual gifts. If you don't have any spiritual gifts, you're pretty much saying you're not a Christian because there's no such thing as a body that doesn't have, you know what I mean? Like, why be part of the body if you serve no purpose? So that's what jumped out at me first, that if this, all of Leviticus 27, Leviticus, commandment, 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 restriction, 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 restriction. I never would have guessed that the first three chapters were, no, no, you don't have to do this, but if you want to, here's how you can give me a burnt offering that'll, make, that'll please me. 
Here's a grain offering that'll please me. Here's a peace offering that'll please me. And then at the end, again, I wish I had a better definitive answer for you, but you want to make vows to me? Here's how you can do it in a way that pleases me. So that was number one. I surrender all. But of course it's I surrender all. You look up what surrender means. It means to cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. So just think about it for a second. Humanly speaking, don't answer. Answer to yourself. Humanly speaking, why do people, countries, whoever, surrender? Just think about it. Not asking for a raise of hands. Why do they surrender? They know they can't win. Okay? They just know that it's probably a better alternative than fighting to the death. Yes? So those are two things I wrote down. You know you can't win, and you know surrender is the better option. Well, spiritually speaking, have you ever been there before? You tried fighting God on something, you tried doing something your way, and you just realized you can't win, so you surrender, because that's the better option. I'm putting that in quotes, not because of course it's the better option, but surrender seems to have such a worst-case scenario to it, you know? Man, if I could have won, man, if... You know, I don't know history well enough to make an example, but, you know, wars that could have turned on a dime. Oh, if this one thing would have changed, then the Britons would have won, or these would have won. No, not, you know something, all right, fine. All right, Lord, I surrender. No. Surrender shouldn't be a worst-case scenario to us. It should be a best-case scenario to us because we're surrendering to the person who knows best. Again, the sheep... The smartest sheep is the one that surrenders to the shepherd because the shepherd's the one who takes care of the sheep. The sheep that keep wanting to walk off the cliff, they're the ones who are always getting in trouble. So I surrender all. Don't, I'm not saying you do see it in a negative way, but don't see it in a negative way. Yes, I surrender all doesn't mean fine, Lord, take it all. No, it's, you know something, this is what's best for me. I thought of Luke 9, we were actually, I was there in my devotions this week, so I guess that's why God had me doing it. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, if it ended there, there's nothing wrong with that. That would be our commander, our superior, our whatever title you lord saying, you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Don't ask why. But most of us know what the next verse says. Whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I know that's referring to salvation, but that's, say it all the time, salvation is not a finish line. Salvation is a starting line. You get saved so that God can do so many mighty and amazing things in you and through you and reveal himself to you so that we can know him better. It gets so much, we get so frustrated with the world, but the world doesn't know him. They don't know any better. We do. So we should want to surrender to him. Uh, a lot of you know that famous quote. I have a t-shirt that says it from Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's not just a cute phrase. That's true surrender. Coming from a heart that's not just willing to surrender but wants to. Now, does Paul admit in Romans 7 it's easier said than done? Yes. Oh, I thank God so much for Romans 7. Oh, this isn't easy. But, oh. Can I say that when Paul wrote Romans 7, it wasn't because he was complaining how hard it was. He was saying, yeah, this is a struggle, but it is so worth it. 
so worth it. And again, whether we say 2024 or not, man, I hope we start viewing surrender in a positive light. In one that, ben that glorifies our Father, of course, but one that also benefits us when we're willing, when we're desiring, when we're saying, Lord, remove things from me that aren't going to bring me closer to you. So I surrender all. And all is, again, why I would always have trouble. I've shared this before. I would always sing, I wish I could surrender all. Lord, I want to surrender all. Like, that would just be it because I felt like I was making a vow that I wasn't going to keep. But now I understand. No, Lord, I want to surrender. I, I do. But all is all. <laughs> we don't get to keep these little pockets of things. Lord, if I could just have this, it's going to be so much easier. Luke 14, 25 to 33, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I was talking about this with my son this week. It almost sounds like Jesus is trying to talk them out of it. Do you really think Jesus tries to talk people out of becoming his disciple? Of course not. But he also doesn't want them just, oh, Lord, I love you. I'll do this for you, this for you, this for you. And then Wednesday comes and you forget that you even said those things. Count the cost. When you say, I surrender all, it doesn't mean you're actually giving everything up. Our Lord doesn't ask for that. Our Lord wants us to be good stewards of the things he gives us. It would be slap in his face if I said, no, I can't have this house, I can't have this car, I, can't. I surrender all. No. We're not called to be monks on a mountain. But as soon as he says, John, could you use this car to go pick someone up? John, could you use your house to hold a community group? John, could you... You don't get to say, oh, but you can't have that. Ooh, but I don't want to give up that desire, that worldly... No. Or just don't say it. I thank God so much that salvation isn't on the line. I'm just going to be honest. Could you imagine if our salvation was on the line, if we didn't surrender all, and God looked under every rock and under... Ah, you didn't give me that. You still... Oh, you're still struggling with that. You're not my child. Oh, my goodness. No, this isn't about salvation. I thank him. Salvation is 100% a work of Christ. We understand that. But then again, the book of Leviticus was already written to God's children, yes? So aren't we assuming that we're already God's child? And what can we do? Yes, there's a lot of laws, a lot of things that he expects everyone to do, but oh, I don't even want to say on the fringes because it should be in the center of our life. Those things that we know he's speaking to our heart. The things we're specifically saying, Sue, there's an opening at Lighthouse. Sean, there's an opening for a bus driver. Like, 
I don't know, maybe I'll be at Lighthouse someday, but I'm not right now. Maybe I'll be dry. I don't know, but that's how God... Do you surrender all? If you forgot we were in Leviticus 27, I don't blame you. I very much feel like I kind of preached two sermons here. But that's how the chapter spoke to my heart. That if somebody desires to give something to God and for whatever reason takes it back, it doesn't mean you don't give him anything. Give me something. And not, you know, not, not a trinket. Not, not a, a little, you know, symbol. No. That's why, give me more than you were going to give me originally. Show me that this really means something to you. Uh, not because it's for salvation, but it's just an expectation of God's children. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Of course I don't expect you to remember this. But that's the verse I centered my very first sermon on in Leviticus. When we started Leviticus and talked about the burnt offering, God laid that verse on my heart. And I promise you, I didn't remember that until he laid it on my heart for this, and, and I saw the correlation. That's it. I surrender all. And I'm saying that in front of, I'm not reading my title. I'm telling you all. I want to surrender all. Hold me to it. Hold me accountable. Encourage me. Challenge me. And I will do the best I can for you. But in order to do that, don't we kind of have to be in fellowship with one another, sharing with one another. Here's what I believe God's laying on my heart. Here's what I'd like to do. Here's where I struggle. Can you help me out? I don't know, but that's why he made us a body. That's why he made us a family, so that we can come alongside each other and help each other say, I surrender all. So that's what I have. I'm definitely not saying Leviticus is done, but for us, we are done with Leviticus. I look forward to hearing how maybe that chapter speaks differently to any of you. Uh, but let's pray and give this time to God. Lord, I thank you. Again, I know what you laid on my heart. And if that was just where my mind chose to go, um, I don't want to say I'm sorry because I do believe I was listening to your spirit. But I also know that, that you can continue to speak to me here. And maybe I missed a lot of important truths. But um, deep down, I just know that. They didn't have to make these vows. Lord, of all the things that you said the, your children had to do, the beginning and end chapters, Lord, were if they wanted to. And I want to. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to surrender all. I know that that has to become reality in my life, but I, I pray that as you see my heart and know it better than I do, Lord, that that is a truth, that I do want to honor you with my lips. I want to honor you with my actions. I want to honor you with my thoughts. And I pray that that's the desire of our whole body here. And I just pray that you show us how we can help each other, come alongside each other, Lord. Yes, in a calendar year, but we don't know. You could take us home tomorrow. So all that matters is you gave us today. I pray that our heart is to not only vow to you, but to vow to you in a way that gives you honor and glory, to give our, all of ourselves as a reasonable service. Um, I know that you'll keep making that clearer and clearer to us as we continue to Search your will for our lives. I know that that'll be the same for all of us in the big picture, but different for all of us in the small. And I thank you for that. And I look forward to seeing what you do, Lord, in each one of your children. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have another one for you, sir. We sing, take my life and let it be. Is it take some of my life?
or does it take my whole life? So anyway, let's stand, and we're going to close in the song that uh, aptly goes with the title of the sermon, I Surrender All. Sing for 